1: Dark in a Light Place with Andrew Stanley. That's coming up in just a second. I want to say quickly thanks to our supporter for this podcast, our Patreon supporter who is paying for you guys to listen to this, Dustin Kreider. Dustin uh, has been listening to the podcast for a while, apparently, and just did his first set at the Laughing School in Atlanta. So he uh, actually sent me a nice little email. And I made sure it was okay for me to read this on air. But I, I just love this kind of encouragement. It says, uh, Rick, thanks for your podcast. It has made a huge impact in a short amount of time I've listened to it. Last night, did my first open mic at the Laughing School in Atlanta. And it was a blast. I was terrified. There were three national performers, a sitcom star, several local pros on the list. I could not have been more intimidated hanging around backstage. But then... I got out there, I spoke like I'd practiced, and people laughed. There may have even been a clap or two. No one believed me when I said it was my first time, and it is 100% because of your podcast and helping me get off on the right foot. Now, I won't take all that credit, but thanks for throwing it my way. I still have a long way to go before I'm ready to take on a bigger stage, but at least now you have given me some of the tools to get better and improve. Thank you again for what you're doing with the podcast. Now I think it's my turn to thank you as a Patreon supporter. Hey, that is the way to do it right there, Dustin. Thanks for uh, uh, throwing me some props, but you did all the heavy lifting there. You got out there, put it all on the line, got on the stage, and did your thing. So uh, very encouraging to me that you uh, found the podcast useful. The reason I wanted to read that at the beginning of this podcast is because our guest today, Andrew Stanley, got his start at the Laughing Skull in Atlanta and was actually kind of terrified about trying to get on stage to make strangers laugh. He was interested in writing comedy. But not so much in performing it, but he got to start there at the Laughing School, and he was an early podcast listener upon a recommendation from a mutual friend of ours. So, small world, not really, but we are all connected these days, and the Laughing School has launched two comics that I know of, probably a whole lot more. We're going to get into the episode right now with Andrew Stanley. Stick around after the podcast to find out where I'll be, if I'll be near you, and also about the performance classes coming up here in Nashville in July. Right now, we're going to get into the interview with Andrew Stanley. And if you don't know, just to give you a little bit of context, Andrew's father, Andy Stanley, is a pastor in Atlanta, and his grandfather, also a pastor, Charles Stanley. You might know those names. So if Andrew Stanley looks familiar, that's probably because you've heard from his parents or his grandparents at some point. And uh, we recorded this uh, during the National... Conference for the uh, Christian Comedian Association, so we might mention that in there a couple of times, just so you know what we're talking about. But here we go right now. Andrew Stanley, talk to you on the flip side. Well, I am sitting across from Andrew Stanley. How you doing, sir?
0: Doing well, Rick. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, I'm glad you're on. Um, A lot of things we got to talk about today, but real quickly, I just want to say. I got to see Andrew in action last night at a show. Last night we had our showcase, our annual thing where we have a dozen or so comics go up. Uh, it's at a church. We had, a, I don't know what the size of the audience last night, but it was a pretty good size.
0: It felt like four to 500 people. Yeah, it I would say like. four yeah, to 500. It was great.
1: And just a good response across the board. You went up fairly early in the show.
0: I was first. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Yeah, that was fun. And it, it, for, when you hear you're going first, you're like, all right, is the crowd going to be ready? Are they all going to be in the room? Um, and they were, which was great. And then I ended up being really glad I went first because the show went on for about three hours. <laughs> three hours long. So I was like, I'm glad I wasn't in hour number three. Right. But everybody did so great no matter what spot they were in. So that made it really fun.
1: It was well organized. The uh, the comedians were put in, a, in an order where there were no two comedians in a row that looked, sounded, or had similar types of styles. Yeah. So everybody got a chance to pop.
0: Yeah, it was great. It was very diverse. And I think the audience... Um, I don't know how diverse the lineups usually are in Wiley, Texas, but right. I think they got a uh, I think they got a great show,
1: yeah, it was cool. And you seem very uh, comfortable coming out there and, and doing your time. and then then at Don I mean, th- this is like two and a half years in or something. Is that about right?
0: Yeah, I'm almost uh, next month will be three years. So yeah, pretty much. And that's three
1: years together.
0: Three years from my first open mic. Yeah, and I you know, the first several months, I was maybe doing one show every two weeks. Um, but I never stopped.
1: Right. And you started, tell everybody just how old you are in case they don't know
0: that. Yeah, I'm 26. Um, I graduated from college and, uh, got into corporate finance and then uh, started doing comedy once I started doing, doing that job and then kind of transitioned out of it.
1: So what, what led you to the first time trying comedy?
0: Oh, man. Well, our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Scott Dunn, who's an alumni of the podcast, yes. I think if you go back far enough. Um, the the real story is I, I graduated from college, finance degree, um, and I, I thought I was funny, but I never... Grown, I think my close friends would tell you I was funny. People that have just met me would be surprised that I'm funny, because with my close friends, I was always funny. And so I always thought I have this, you know, I think I'm funny and I don't know how to explore that I would love to be more creative and if I could have a job that ever allowed me to write comedy I think that would be my dream job and so I'm, I'm starting my corporate finance job in Atlanta and I just feel like I have this itch I want to scratch and um, so I ended up having dinner with a family friend who's a comedian and uh and kind of asked him you know what do I do like I know I want to move in this direction but I don't know what specifically I don't know how to pursue it like what are some steps I can just take in that direction and he said, well, I don't totally know, uh, since I'm on the performing side of things, but I'll connect you with a guy that sometimes when I have writing projects, i will he's my sounding board. So he connected me with Scott Dunn, um, who writes for a lot of great comedians. And I, email, I remember I emailed Scott, and I basically told him what I just told you. And he said, um, all right, Andrew, I'd love to help you. Uh, first thing I want you to do is write five minutes of jokes, and then go do them at the local comedy club, Open Mic. And I said, okay, I think I'll just find someone else to help me. Because <laughs> yeah. so you... I was, had no inclination to be on stage. I was never interested in that. I'm such an introvert. Growing up in church with Pastor Dad, Pastor Granddad, I always got to ask, are you going to go into ministry? And I say, no, because I'm too scared to be on stage. Um, so he uh, he had to kind of convince me to uh-huh. do it. He kind of, and he was so helpful. He said, well, send me the jokes first, and I'll make sure you're not going to disgrace right, right. yourself too badly. <laughs> right, right. Um. Which is it was a kind of what I needed. I think I needed a push like that if this was ever going to happen and um, so he kind of helped me write those first five minutes um, over maybe a month, and then I went to the Laughing skull lounge and gave it a shot
1: and the, the, put a pin in that for a second, but yeah. going back what why did you think you didn't want to perform but you just wanted to write what was it
0: I think it mostly just stage fright uh-huh. um, I didn't think I would be good at it. Anytime in school, you know, in school you're forced to do that sometimes. So you kind of know naturally how good you are at Uh, something like that. So in school I was always the one that would volunteer to do more work so I didn't have to present. Gotcha. So it's just, some of it was me just being afraid and some of it was me not thinking I was good. Uh,
1: So you go to the laughing school with your fresh five minutes. It's kind of been looked over a little bit, but you still haven't said it out loud.
0: No, no, just just to my hairbrush.
1: Right, and so before you go on stage so had had you been to two, very many open mics or comedy shows in general
0: when when the conversation started about me doing it i had never been to an open mic and not many comedy shows um, so the first thing i did is i took a couple of friends and went to the laughing skull and watched the open mic bought tickets and sat through it and i remember that was kind of comforting cuz you know it's 20 comedians doing 5 minutes each it's a long show and the you know five of them are great um, five of them are pretty good and then the rest are I mean, you've been doing open mic. You know what you see. You, some right. people are trying for the first time. Some people have been doing it for a while, but are kind of delusional and never take too many steps to get it better. So, right. so I remember leaving there thinking, okay, well, I don't think I'll be the worst one. Yeah, <laughs> at least, at least I won't be memorably bad. Right. You know, because that's my biggest fear is I don't want people to be thinking about me on the way home how embarrassing I was. Yeah. So I took comfort in that, okay, it's not going to be me and a bunch of professional comedians. It's going to be me and a bunch of other people that are trying to figure it out.
1: And did you, I'm just curious, did you use a stage name or anything the first time just to kind of make sure nobody <laughs> knew who
0: you were or well, make an association? people ask me about that, and I've, I've it never crossed my mind until people asked me. I mean, I think some, like my dad is, is a well-known pastor in Atlanta, but it's an interesting kind of, it's not even really fame because he's very important to some people, <laughs> But to most people, I didn't register. Like my girlfriend hadn't heard of him before we started dating, right? you know? So I think I was a little bit worried about that because people kept asking me, but it's never been an issue. Very rarely at the club, I'll maybe see somebody whisper like, you know, I think that's that's my preacher's kid. Right. But uh, it's never been a like, wait a second, stop the show. (laughs) Right. Are you? Like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't do that.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this real quickly that, um, the reason I do this podcast is because of something your dad said on his podcast.
0: Really? Yes. He's a,
1: he has the leadership
0: podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm embarrassed. I <laughs> I won't tell you the number of episodes. I've listened to your podcast a lot more than I've listened to his <laughs> podcast.
1: That's hilarious. Well, he so he talks about leadership, and you know, as a pastor, he gets approached by all kinds of people for all kinds of favors, or or can you solve this problem for me and and as a leader, you you can't physically do that mm-hmm. and still serve your family and still serve God and everything. It's just, it's overwhelming. And he has the phrase that, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. So when I was uh, doing the comedy classes in Nashville, I had people that would fly in from Texas three Mondays in a row to
0: take the class. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was like, it didn't make sense, but it... But it made me realize, They must oh, have
0: good jobs, real jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah, these guys, uh, I also wondered that, too. Like, how can you, the the tickets are way more cost uh, costly than the yeah. class. And then I would have, I still have people drive up from Alabama or down from Ohio or right. Illinois, Missouri. But I kept thinking, if there was something online, mm-hmm. then they can get the same information and they wouldn't have to travel. And I wouldn't have to think, oh, I'm missing out by not going to Texas and doing classes or by... And so I kept thinking back to that one phrase, do for one. Which you, mm-hmm. So the podcast is like a one on one conversation. Yeah. But it's like an online green room. And there's teaching, you know, especially in the early episodes, if you want to get knee deep into the writing, all that stuff. But it was really a, an eye opener for me like, oh, you don't have to say yes to everybody. Right. And solve every problem or do everything. Do it once in an example where people can learn from it. Right. And so, if you next time you see your dad, I was gonna say, if you ever see your dad again, <laughs>
0: well, next time you yeah, see him, if, yeah. let just him know he inspired at least next one other time podcast. We cross paths. Um, well, that's so cool because, like you said, you get asked the same question over and over again, and you answer it over and over again, or you can just record it on a podcast, and everybody can just go to that. Right. So it's just a lot more efficient way. Once you become an expert on something like you are, what a technology has allowed you to spread that to more people without having to. Yeah. Talk to them all individually.
1: It's, it's been funny. But the, and the fact that I have you on my podcast now is just like, like a full circle. Like, I think this should be my last podcast because <laughs> your dad inspired it, and now you're here, and we're done.
0: I've been the last podcast episode of several podcasts. <laughs> so I'm kind of – you really should not have had me on if you're trying to continue. I think I'm a podcast uh, – Curse! You're um,
1: nailing the coffin, but, Stanley. <laughs> but it, this is—it's
0: funny you mentioned this is full circle because it feels that way for me too. Because the first thing Scott told me to do when we started writing jokes is he said, "My friend Rick has a podcast called School of Laugh Podcast." And here's the ones I want you to listen to. He gave me a few of them. I listened to those. And then I went back and listened to every single other one. That's great. So I felt like, even though we didn't know each other at the time, I felt like you were my stand-up comedy teacher. No, that's great. So this is very full circle for me, too. Well, that's, so, that's, that's awesome. So I guess at the end of the day, again, I have my dad to thank.
1: <laughs> well, as a dad, I'm, like, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Because I hope my kid <laughs> says that one day. Well, that's awesome. So we go back to the laughing school. You did your first night. You left. You say, oh, I'm not the worst. I'm not the best. There's room to grow yeah did, did you immediately i guess the next couple of days get back with scott and say hey this is how it went yeah did you record the set I, I assume or no
0: yeah um the first two times i did it i the first several were at laughing School. i i was so nervous um that i really i didn't black out black out but i couldn't really even remember it afterwards yeah. it was just, just such a adrenaline thing i my mind almost blocked it out and so i was thankful to have some my one of my friends videoed it um and so I sent Scott what I what I had and um in the first time went uh, it didn't go awful um it didn't go great. I remember thinking I think my jokes were better than I, I don't think I did my jokes justice with my performance.
1: Your writing was ahead of your performing.
0: Yeah, well I felt yeah, I felt like I didn't perform those as well as they deserved to be performed. So that's what really made me want to do it again. I was like, "Okay, I need to practice more about performing now that I've done it. I want to at least see what these jokes can get when they're done" What I think is properly, mm-hmm. and now looking back, they weren't great jokes anyway. But um, but that's kind of what kept me going through the first several times, and then you start to build up some confidence and meet comedians and realize there's other shows around town, and mm-hmm. then you start spiraling.
1: Yeah, it's a, I tell you, once you get into it, it's like it never ends. There's another another thing around the corner to see or to try on stage, or or uh, the process of it never, you know, you never get to the end of it.
0: Right. Yeah. Which, You're chasing the the thing that. the journey never ends and that's that's the fun part about it is it's fun and it never ends
1: it never ends and you know last night at the showcase i watched as many i think i only missed one or two comics while i was getting ready for my set but it was i learned from every single person that went up something that i hadn't thought about trying before not not a joke but a way of delivery or a way of pausing or a way of looking at the audience and it's like every good comic you can learn from uh like Comedy Central University, if you want to call it that. Just turn right. on the TV yeah. after a laugh, stop, and go, why was that so funny?
0: Yeah, and how many years have you been doing comedy? Uh, this I
1: started in 91, so, you know, long time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you're still learning from comedians. That's the fun part about it is it's, it, comedy changes, and you can choose to change or not, but it, if you keep learning and adapting, then you get to have a career like yours.
1: It keeps it, keeps it fresh, and it keeps... Hopefully, every, every time somebody sees you, they, they recognize that you're still working at it and getting better. Right. Like, you never want to level off and coast, because as soon as you do that, man, the rust, yeah. the decay on your set, um, it just eats you alive. When you, when you were at the laughing school that f- that first time, and then you started going around the clubs in Atlanta, mm-hmm. seeing other comics, were there a couple that were friendly, helpful? I'm, I'm sure there were, but anybody you want to tell me about that was... Uh, helping you, helping you get rolling a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, just like in any scene, there's a little bit of everything I think. And there's people that are like, Oh, another new comedian. And right. More somebody else trying to get my stage time. And then there's people that are, that see something in you and they tell you, Hey, I think you should keep doing this. And, um, I remember I have a few vivid memories of first starting people that were encouraging. One was, uh, Lace Larrabee. I don't know if you know yeah. her. She's married to Jared Harris and, um, Lace, um, She still does some, but at the time, she was working a lot at the punchline, and she was hoping their open mic. And I think maybe my fifth or sixth set I ever did, I was doing the open mic at the punchline, and afterwards, she came up, and it went okay, but uh, afterwards, she came up to me, and she goes, Andrew, your writing writing is really unique, and I think you have a cool voice, and I think you should, don't quit, just keep doing it. And that's such an easy thing to say. She probably doesn't even remember saying that, but I'll remember that forever. And but she wouldn't have said it if she didn't mean it either. Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. and I, I mean it's funny because we're much better friends now. Right. <laughs> We've done a lot of shows together. Um, but that's the stuff you don't forget, and that's the stuff that I try to remember when I feel that way about a new comedian, not to just swallow that, just to, to tell them, because yeah. it because you're searching for any so, anything to latch onto when you're starting. You're not sure if you're doing it right. You don't know if anyone likes you. You don't know if you you don't even know the rules. Right. So to get any kind of encouragement from someone. And the scene that was established as her um, was huge.
1: That's great. So hit, start hitting the open mics. You're still doing the day job. I was. Yep. As an accountant.
0: Yep. And so I didn't tell anybody at work for a long time. I was time. curious
1: about that. but you, you, Your friends knew, but your work friends didn't.
0: Well, and most of my friends didn't. I didn't even tell for a long time. I think, especially the first time, when I had the day. The Laughing Skull, they book you way in advance because there's lots of people trying to get on the open mic. So I think I had three weeks and I didn't tell anybody and until the day of, and I just told a couple of friends on the day of, maybe the same, that afternoon, because I didn't want them to have time to invite anyone else, because uh-huh. <laughs> I knew they would. And I didn't want there to be 15 people in there to see me, because then your results get all skewed, right. like you know. And I wanted to really know how I did. I didn't want to have a everybody pat each other on the back, or all of our friends laughed at us first time. So I think three or four people came, To my first several open mics.
1: So your your close friends knew about it, but your friends at work, were they checking out the open mic scene too, or you were holding off on telling them?
0: Yeah, and I was still pretty new at work. I was only a year into my job when I started comedy, and I was on a team with mostly people in their 40s, 50s, and Uh 60s. So there weren't even many kind of peers and my biggest fear was people at work to show up. And, right. And now, as you know, in your first year especially, you start inviting people, and then two years later, you're like, I can't believe I invited people <laughs> yeah. when I was a year in. Um, so, I eventually told them, and I when I started, especially when I started asking for time off for it, right. um, eventually, they started to be like, oh, you're just really doing a lot of, of the stand-up thing. But um I remember one uh I had been doing stand up maybe a year and a half, almost two years, like a year ago, and uh I was hosting a weekend at the punchline and my boss, um and she my boss goes to my granddad's church. She and her family all go. And uh she was asking me what I was doing that this weekend <laughs> and I said, Oh, I'm hosting at the punchline all weekend and she goes, Oh, cool, that's awesome. And then uh I won't say who the headliner was, but he was Filthy, n- or- not even close to my granddad. <laughs> right. Uh, and so I get up there to, to start the show off. I look out there, and there she is, her and her husband. Oh. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm clean. I didn't really have to change anything. Right. Um, but in the back of my mind, I know what's coming after me. And I want to somehow communicate to them, well, you should not have come to this show. But I'm already on stage. And uh, so it's always interesting when people surprise you at shows, and you notice from stage. Right. And you're like, all right, do I need to change any jokes? I have work jokes I shouldn't be telling. But um, but eventually they all got super on board, and uh, and of course when I left, that's the coolest way to quit your job. Yeah, is to go say I'm going to pursue my dream as an entertainer.
1: Right, that's pretty amazing, and I'm sure,
0: I don't know how your boss
1: was, but I'm sure they said something to the, the fact that we'll keep the door open in case it doesn't work out. Oh either. yeah,
0: they were like, come back yeah. if you need us. Yeah, if you need health insurance again. It was a really weird circumstances when I left because I was, I had applied for a new job within the company that was going to be a big promotion. Right at the time that I was deciding if I should just quit it altogether. Mm. And I found out right about the time I had decided I'm definitely leaving, I got word that I got the promotion. Oh, boy. <laughs> so then I had a whole other decision to make. So it got to the, where the order of it was I got the new job and I kind of accepted it verbally mm-hmm. and I gave him my two weeks. And then a week into my two weeks, the week before I was supposed to start, I was like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry but I'm not going to be starting. Mm. But it's not because I'm taking another job. It's because I'm going to stand-up. Right. And I don't even know if they believed me. I think that they were kind of like, all right, this guy's (laughs) not turned down this job, and he's lying to us. Right. But, um...
1: What were the conversations like at home at this time?
0: Yeah. Um. And I don't live at home. People always assume that I live at home. Well, I mean, just... No, I know what you mean, but... uh, (laughs) Hey, man, you might want to move back in. (laughs) Yeah, well, that might be coming. But, um you know, I was kind of the last person to decide that this is what I should do. I'd been doing both for two years and right. it got to where I was, I was using all of my vacation days at work. I was using to go travel, to do stand up. And the real reason that I ended up quitting my job is because I was running, I was out of vacation days and still getting opportunities. And I right. was like, all right, if I'm going to chase this, now's the time. I'm not going to try to lose this momentum that I've kind of built mm-hmm. by continuing to do this job that I'm not passionate about. And I didn't right. hate it, but I wasn't passionate about it. Um, So kind of leading up to that, there was a lot of conversations with my parents and my girlfriend and they kind of, I was the last one to decide it's what I should do. They were were, were pushing me to it. They were all for it. And at that point, I think it was, uh, it was like September and I was booked pretty solid through like March. So I had several months where I knew that I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, hopefully I keep getting booked and stay afloat and been blessed in that way. Big time. Um, but it was, it was so cool to have all that support because I talked to so many other comedians and, and really anyone, you know, when you take a, a career move, after your parents have helped you or really completely paid your way through college, mm-hmm. you're like, I think I'm going to throw away this degree and go chase this dream that I just learned that I have.
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: <laughs> but they were super supportive and I'm so, so blessed to have family
1: that uh an understanding that, cool with that. Yeah.
0: understands yeah
1: well it's, it's interesting it's i mean you come from a family of communicators yeah so it's not like you're way out of the 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 the, the family tree True. business in that way um and you do speak and uh, you do comedy at a lot of churches as well as comedy clubs so yeah like i i think that's probably a a, a small peaceful part for your parents is like right. well, he's going to be traveling with good company a majority of the time yeah and and, and staying in the environments that are nurturing and good and solid yeah, and all those things. Yeah, some more than others, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing, when it when it's not that way, then you can be the light and, and be a powerful, positive presence yeah. for other people.
0: Well, it's funny you use that. Uh, you said light because I, I have a joke now. I, I can be kind of – I'm in this place now where I'm doing so much stuff at clubs and in Atlanta when I'm home, but I'm also doing churches, and when I'm in the clubs, I'm super clean, obviously, in comparison – but when I'm in churches, I can be pretty edgy for a church, and so I tell the people in the church, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm in these clubs all the time, I try to be a light in a dark place, and then I can come here and be the darkness in a light place. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and uh, and that's they, how it kind of feels, and it's fun to kind of be in both camps where I get to be super clean, maybe a good example over here, and then like the edgy guy over here. Right. So I kind of get both sides of the coin, which is fun.
1: That, that's funny. I never thought about it in that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Now now that you're full time, um, you know, at every step of the level of, of progress in comedy or any business, there's there's struggles and successes. Mm. Um, it's always fun on this show to kind of explore a little bit of both. So sure. struggles are always more interesting in a way. But before we jump into that, yeah. maybe one or two things that have happened early, earlier than you thought they would or experiences that you've had that have been just like, wow, I can't believe I just got to do that or.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And I've been so blessed with opportunities, um, partially just because they're blessings and partially because of who I'm related to. And mm-hmm. there's some perks in that for sure. Um, too early on, I got um, I got to do a big, I got to do Catalyst conference. Um, they just wanted me to come. My dad was speaking at it. So they said, well, you're doing comedy now. Why don't you come do five minutes and introduce your dad? And that was like, uh, I think that was like 6,500 people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think I was less than a year in. So I did 6,500, five minutes for 6,500 people less than a year in, and it went well because I was, you know, making fun of my dad Mm. and doing a couple of the jokes that I'd been really working on a lot, so I didn't have to do 10, if I had to do 10 minutes, it would have been a totally different story, but I did pretty well and actually got, started getting booked out of town from that, um, so to get that kind of opportunity that early, it is not lost on me how rare and special that was, um. So things like that have been cool. Um, and even in the comedy clubs, I feel like I had a little bit of an advantage getting booked earlier because I was clean. And as I, I know you've talked about on this podcast before, a lot of the times clubs are looking for clean MCs or clean just in, in, a, in a world now where we're rightly looking to build really diverse lineups, mm-hmm. um, clean stands out it and, and it becomes a weird kind of oh we have we have uh you know we have this many black guys on the show we have this many females and this many this and this and then we have the clean guy <laughs> right, right so instead of just being straight white guy i can be clean straight white guy which gives me a little bit of a difference yeah yeah from the other so it's kind of funny how that's worked to my favor in the on the in the club side of stuff too yeah
1: and you can plug a clean person into any show yeah. And, if, yeah, and in fact, you, as you've, I'm sure you've experienced already, that the filthiest comics would still like a clean opener so that their filth is extra dirty when it comes around. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, anybody, it's hard to find somebody that maybe wouldn't want a clean opener. It's, and I think that a lot of times people confuse clean and family friendly. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, I'll do, I'll do a church show and they've billed it as family friendly and there's all these kids there and I'm not going to say anything that's going to. Make their parents have to explain something to them But I also didn't write these jokes For elementary school kids Like I'm talking about my life and Not from that part of it Mm. So it's uh, I think a lot of times Christian comedians And clean comedians can Get grouped When people hear that they think Oh they're doing comedy for children Right, And it's fun for me To be able to hopefully Change some people's perspective on it
1: Yeah which is another interesting point is no one does straight stand-up for children.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, nobody the, wants Some people get roped into it a lot.
1: I, I'll get requests every month from somebody. You know, my daughter's turning 13 or my son's <laughs> turning 15 or my kid is 9 and he loves stand-up. You, I'm like, it's nobody. It's
0: like, it's like just bring him to a show that yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm not going to do one at, at your house. Yeah, that's the last, <laughs> that's the last thing I want to do. Just bring everybody to the show I'm already doing.
1: We're <laughs> yet, yeah, Rick. I'm over at Jimmy Johnson's house doing a 9-year-old birthday party. right. <laughs> But also just get a get a magician that's funny too, or get a juggler that's yeah. funny too, because that is, to me, kid friendly also means universal, which means language can be taken out of it. Like they can be wowed yeah. by something.
0: Right, right. And, and and what a magician does is so universally appreciable.
1: Right. Yeah. I, know, I, like I wish everybody's amazed of magic-
0: that they they don't know where the coin went. Right. It, it, you did that all. It, yeah. It's such a.
1: Interesting. So, yeah, I've never thought about it. If this. I'm talking
0: about being single and not married, like all my friends say, you know, the, the 14-year-old's like, all right, I don't know if this is for me.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I say, well, I've got cholesterol material. Do you think the 7-year-old the is going to really be digging yeah, into right. Lipitor? And, and it's
0: like, not inappropriate right. for them, but another way, it is inappropriate <laughs> yeah. for them because it doesn't really apply to yeah. what's going on in their lives. So
1: you got some good bookings out of the, the five-minute set there. And then, of
0: course, yeah. work begets work, so good shows. Exactly, and there's stuff that I can still trace back to that that's gone through f- five other things. Mm-hmm. Somebody saw me here, who saw me there, who saw me there, who saw me. So, so I've had uh, since then I've had the opportunity to do a few more big conferences like that, which you know for me have been the way to me being able to quit my job so mm-hmm. fast is is that. And it's it's just fun to be able to do that stuff and then be able to go back to Laughing Skull where nobody in the crowd cares or knows who I am and mm-hmm. I can do my eight minutes and find out what's funny and right and for me it's always been important to write jokes that'll work both places i think and that's kind of a, a can be a sliver of uh of the joke market you know the venn diagram of what works at the ten thirty saturday night show at the club and the seven o'clock fundraiser show at first mm-hmm. baptist um but that's where i've tried to write my jokes and i think that that's helped me um kind of i'm not saying I've i've found my voice but i think it's helped me Go down that road faster by kind of giving myself some parameters.
1: Right. Yeah, and keeping—I just find in general keeping it tight. If the jokes are tight, and they work in a club, a tightly written comedy bit at a conference or a convention or a fundraiser Mm. where they're used to maybe a storyteller who's kind of humorous or
0: whatever—yeah—blows them away. Yeah.
1: When you bring stand—I always say stand-up quality content to a family-friendly or or clean event or what have you—right. It's the best of both worlds. So keeping that one foot in there is is key. Now, alongside the the successes, there's always some things that are like, and, and even you know, two and a half, three years in, there's going to be all kinds of things that you're learning for the first time, even even while doing big shows. But what are some struggles or some things that you're like, man, I can't wait till I learn how to do this better or for these types of things to go smoother?
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's there's plenty of that. Um, for me, I, I I started getting booked a lot as a headliner kind of and headliner in the sense that I'm the only comedian that's going to be at an event, whether it's at a church or a fundraiser mm-hmm. or whatever. So for me building material, I had to do pretty f- faster than, um, than maybe some of my peers that are working in the clubs longer mm-hmm. before they start getting opportunities. So for me it was, all right, how do I generate a lot of material that's, I'm not sacrificing quality, but so just, I'm just trying to write a lot. And that can be hard. And getting a lot of stage time is the only way for me to figure out, all right, I got to figure out what works. So when I go do 45 minutes, I I don't want to be trying things at this group that's paying right me money. Um, so for me, it's been trying to figure out my the best writing process for me. I'm still so, um, I, I'm not locked into anything. And I've, I'm trying lots of different stuff. And it all works a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, my method's kind of been write down all the ideas I have revisit them later and try to type out a joke I I found that the jokes that work best for me are the ones where early on in the process of writing it I find a punchline that I'm excited about and that because if I'm excited about a new punchline I will do everything I can to tell it on stage as fast as possible even if that's all I have Mm -hmm. and probably that week try to just do it as many times as I can and in doing that you find the rest of the joke so for me, I think my bits that have been the best lately are the ones where I found a really good punchline I, I'm i in love with early and then kind of just built a joke around it. Um, but I don't know how to generate that um, as regularly as mm-hmm. as I would want to. Um, other struggles. Um, sometimes there's there's stuff I get asked to do that I've learned I probably need to say no to, even though I don't... Even though my, my instinct is to say yes to everything. Right. But there's some stuff, like I got asked recently to go do uh, like 30 minutes at a stranger's um, wedding reception. And part of me is like, that would be fun. And even if it goes bad, it'll be funny.
1: It'll be a story. It'll be a
0: story. <laughs> but the other part of me is like, I just don't think that that's a good idea for anybody. Have you done anything like that?
1: Once or twice I've done that. And lucky for me, the... Um both times, there were people that were getting remarried, so they were like in their 40s. Okay. They'd already had a big wedding. It was a little low-key. They didn't want to do dances. Yeah. Like, and because at that point I was married, I had a lot of material that... Right. You know, it was almost like a miniature roast, because I could bring them into every single aspect of my yeah. marriage material.
0: I just keep picturing the weddings that you know all my friends are getting married right now because i'm 26 yeah and i'm just i'm just like this would not fit at any of the weddings that i go to but maybe maybe it's just a different type of wedding and maybe that's what it is yeah
1: i wouldn't want to do the ones that you're talking about because at, at that age no it's, it's it is a bad idea
0: yeah. a yeah. b
1: even if they think it's a good idea all these all the bridesmaids want to talk to each other
0: Nobody the, wants to sit quietly after they just had to sit quietly. Right.
1: And they don't want to hear a stranger who's from, from outside the group come yeah, in. Yeah, it's
0: not like I'm even like the uncle that does stand-up. Right. I'm right. a stranger that does stand so like, So I guess kind of navigating some of those inquiries that come in and being like, okay, maybe I, I need to... I'm torn between I should be saying yes to everything going on these comedy adventures and I need to focus on what the long-term yeah so, you know what i want
1: to do yeah and there, there's the third component these days to where not only could it go horribly wrong somebody could video record the entire thing <laughs> yeah. which doesn't mean any, it will never make an impact if nobody knows who you are but if there's a little bit of re- name recognition or you yeah, have a that's, website that's or people start true. google searching all of a sudden what is this and yeah. you know and if, if if something happened in that situation that took you out of the normal person that you are, you know, if there's a fit of rage that happens uh, because it's not going well and that's recorded, it's yeah, like. Yeah,
0: you get a video, comedian destroys Heckler. <laughs> yeah. That was also father of the bride. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of horrible things that could happen. Yeah. Well, that's smart, and it is a, a tricky thing to figure out, you know, how to say no. Do to I th-
0: say no to something? Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's and one thing I'll tell you is from, from having things like that for so many years come up as I always I have people in mind for those things now. Okay. You know like so like a marriage thing at the CCA we've got Richard and Sherry Bright who are marriage counselors okay. that do comedy. Yeah. So if I got a call like that now I might say you know what I don't think I'm the right fit but here's somebody who is probably oh, a that's perfect great. fit. That's great. So just t- thinking of all these situations like you
0: know if right, there is I'm, an I'm gonna, for I'm to I'm gonna th- forward these emails to you, and you can go. do I'll, it. I'll figure out who. Do no,
1: it. <laughs> I won't be doing the wedding ones. <laughs> but it is the, the longer you are in it, you'll know more people who are like. Ah, it might be something for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it,
1: it doesn't have to be for you, which is a smart thing. But it is a tricky one.
0: Yeah. One of the fun things I've gotten to do um, recently is when I do a church gig or something like that, and they want a bit longer show, is bring one of my club comedian friends that I know can be clean. And kind of show them that side of it, because I feel like I feel like mo- and there's certainly ex- plenty of exceptions even mm-hmm. here at the conference, but there's a for the for the most part you have you know your your club secular comedians and then you kind of have this group that, that does a bunch of churches and ministry events, and I love doing both so much I always love it when I can take somebody from one side to the other side. Yeah, yeah. So anytime I get a <laughs> chance where somebody has a bigger budget and wants a longer show, and I can say hey I can pay you maybe more money than you've ever made doing comedy. And I can show you kind of this world that you always hear me talking about. Um, so that's been one of the really fun things about doing both uh-huh. is kind of trying to be the bridge to show people the other sides of, because comedy so, we get so locked into comedy's supposed to be done the way that we do it and the places that we do it. And that's just kind of narrow minded. Yeah. So I love uh, getting to show people stuff like that.
1: I think that's a good use of the opportunities that you have, and you know, enlightenment is never a bad thing for either side to see what's going on on the other (laughs) other side. Whether
0: even if you don't like it, at least now you know more about it.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I'm I'm super excited about uh, what you're doing, and and I know you're working hard too. I I think one of our friends said today that you did how many shows last year to to work towards. (laughs)
0: Oh, I wasn't in the session, but Marty told me he was like, "I need to know how many sets you've done this year, so I could use you as an example." I was like, "Please, just don't, don't, you don't need to use my name." He's like, "I'm using your name." I'm like, "Okay." Um, I think I told him this year through, um, through May, I've done 125 sets or something, and then I think he used that to decide how many I had done the year before. Or something. Right. I think I think he said I did like three. I probably did 200 something the year before. Um, but it's your are purposeful But that's including Open mics And sometimes You're you three a night And all that stuff
1: Yeah and Atlanta I'd have to imagine Is just a great place to be Because you've got So oh, many yeah. club opportunities Multiple things on a, on a given night
0: There's people Doing way more sets Than me in Atlanta Yeah
1: So uh, people are listening I, I know there's Definitely are like He's been doing it How long? He's doing how many shows? But he, you're putting the work in To make sure I mean you're You're fully aware that You know Two and a half years in and They're asking me to do A 45 minute set I've got to
0: jam on this writing is yes like, like maybe if i have 40 minutes i feel great about i can have some slides and f- find out some unique hacky ways to be funny <laughs> right, to, right. to fill the rest of the time um
1: but you, I, I would have to imagine you you and, and your, your friends who have seen you from the very very beginning are excited about the potential of where it's all headed like right now you're trying to get th- together that first hour I bet right. you're excited about when that second hour is in place. And that, that first hour, even though it's working, is like training wheels of, of the way yeah. you think and the way you get your point across and the way your persona is written into jokes. That just get stronger with every show and every joke you write. So as you get, you know, I was, I was happy watching your set last night, but I'm super excited about what is this going to look like in two or three years once oh. you've had that many more reps and that many more, you know, life experiences that you're comfortable talking about and your storytelling is good you have a good I think balance between jokes and stories like you keep the pace
0: yeah I've I've found myself writing more jokes into stories and I think that's kind of where my sweet spot at least for right now is so you know you're totally right and and it it is it's fun and you mentioned your second hour and I'm already stressed about the idea of you know getting your hour recording it and being done with it and starting over is the scariest thing in the world to me right now but I know that you have to do it. Well, you don't want to get stuck in the same rhythm. But also, I'm like, oh, well, I'm three years in. I can give myself a little more
1: time. Give yourself some slack. And also, there was was and has been a trend of, especially because of Netflix and things like, get another hour, get another hour, get another yeah. hour. I have also noticed the quality of the hours. Was easy to
0: see. Yeah. From
1: headliners going down, down. Like, you know, Louis C.K. take all the other stuff off the table with his personal decisions and stuff off sure. stage. But it just his on stage. First few times he did a special, I'm like, wow, yeah. he spent some time on that. Mm-hmm. And then once he decided it's going to be a new hour every year, there was stuff I would see him do. I'm like, that's not even open mic quality stuff from right, a guy, so, you know, and it's just whether it was him or somebody else, I'm like, that's, that was well, a waste of my time a little bit there. Even though the, some yeah. of the other stuff was good, it was definitely rushed and not polished.
0: Yeah. And, and several comedians come to mind I'm not, when, when you say that, and it's a little bit heartbreaking when it's one of them that you love. Right. And you're so excited to hear their new special, and they go, "Oh, that probably could have used another year."
1: Yeah. And so um, don't be in a rush, Russ. Oh
0: yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not in any kind. And of, there's no. There's no one waiting for me to to, to <laughs> right, do right. my first hour. There's no one that's like, "When are you gonna?" I don't have any of that. But um, but I try to keep that in mind. I feel like thinking about that stuff is healthy, and mm-hmm. it it motivates me to write more. When I think, okay, at some point, I want to be able to do that. Yeah.
1: That's cool, man. Well, I don't want to take uh, up too much of your time, cause we got to – Go eat, and there's open yeah. mics tonight to do, which I'm fired up about. Are you yeah. going to do a little bit?
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to go watch. And quickly, before we end, I did just want to say, on behalf of me and everyone listening, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Oh, you like I said, this is so full circle for me, because you were kind of my lifeline as I was starting, and I uh, just wanted to say thank you in person.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm glad. I don't want to sound like... Uh, uh, Dismissive, like I'm. I'm excited. No, that I know. That's
0: it's, it's the worst. As a comedian, is accepting comp awkward compliments. Right. What I should
1: say is I received that. Yeah, I, I, re- I received
0: that. that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna start saying.
1: <laughs> but it, uh, you no, know, it's exciting for me to have you on, and uh, even more exciting to know that I was there in the ear a little bit at the beginning. You know.
0: Yo, big time. And, Still. Uh,
1: and it's awesome that you know Scott Dunn too. And if you haven't listened to, gone back and listened to the podcast, look up. I think it was maybe episode 15 or 16. I had Scott Dunn on, who yeah. writes for Jeff Foxworthy and who's written for other big time yeah, Bill think. Billing Bull, yeah. and, and he shares some tips about uh, writing in general. But. That was great that you got pointed his direction early on.
0: I, I mean, I tell him every time I see him or talk to him on the phone, I say, hey, every time something big happens for me, I say, I call him, say, Scott, this just happened and it's all because of you. Just, oh, wanted to, just wanted to say thanks again. That's great.
1: Well, Andy, it's super nice talking to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks
0: so much for having me. Yeah, great. I'm
1: looking forward to the rest of your journey, buddy. Awesome. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrew Stanley, young fella going out there, putting in the work, shine the light in a dark place. And be in the dark in a light place. (laughs) I thought that was a great analogy, how you could be the the clean comedian, but also be the darkest at a church and the lightest at a comedy open mic or a comedy club. Very funny. But I had a good time talking to Andrew. Uh, He mentioned Scott Dunn a couple of times in there. If you haven't listened to the episode with Scott Dunn, I've linked to that in the show notes. It's all about how you can write for other comedians, for TV and just uh, use your stand-up for more than just yourself. A great interview, and again, the link is in the show notes. If this has motivated you to get on stage or get better at your craft – Hey, we've got classes coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. School of Last has performance classes Mondays, July 8, 15, and 22, three consecutive Mondays, 8, 15, and 22, from 6 to roughly 8:30 p.m. in the evening. Uh, it's an early class. You still have time to go out and do shows and sets afterwards if you're in the in the area there taking the class. Uh, course fee is 200 bucks that covers your time on stage, review feedback, and a spot at a graduation show. To be mentioned later. So, if you need to get a little tune up in your comedy, whether you've been doing it for a while or just got two or three minutes, the performance class is built for you to get bigger, better, and more bookable right out of the gate. If you want to meet up with me on the road, I might be able to do that. Grab a cup of coffee. Columbus, Ohio, Orlando, Florida, Grapevine, Texas, all coming up. Or maybe you're coming into Nashville on a vacation. I'll be warming up the audiences for Huckabee. Up in Hendersonville, that's TBN Studios, July 19th and 23rd. That's a Friday the 19th or Tuesday the 23rd. Uh, feel free to give me a shout out if you think i are going to make it to one of those tapings. And I'll make sure I spend some time with you before or after. And, uh, you know, you get free tickets anyway, but maybe I can give you a little backstage tour. We'll see. All right, that's going to do it for now. Thanks again to Andrew Stanley. Thanks to Scott Dunn for connecting me with Andrew initially. And thanks to you guys for supporting the podcast, especially you, Dustin. Kreider. go out there and let me know how your second open mic experience goes. It's always a little different than the first, so we'll see what goes on there. Thanks again. Take care and stay
0: funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.